I know firsthand that when you're raising a challenging, reactive or aggressive dog, that life isn't all unicorns and rainbows. But I also know that it helps to hear other people's stories. My name is Kaisa van Overbeek, and on this podcast, we share stories of the force-free training journeys of amazing dogs who are just a little rough around the edges. I know most of you are probably desperately waiting for another interview episode and I have to say I do love these episodes um, but I don't have one for you yet. Good news though I have about three or four interview episodes lined up or I should say interviews lined up. The episodes aren't recorded yet but they're coming so bear with me hopefully next week I will already have one ready for you. For now though here is another more kind of mindset-y episode of Rough Around the Edges. And so I've been wanting to do a podcast episode on why I believe that the paradigm shift that we see in dog training nowadays, um, why the way we regard dogs is equally as important for the dog's mental health as it is for ours. Um, by that I mean that presently or for the last couple of years I want to say we're starting to look at dogs as really being their own sentient beings with their own will their own character their own fears that we are no longer seeing them as kind of robots that just need to be programmed right so that they do what we want them to do that we are also looking at the environment in which they have to function as well and so forth and and so forth And this is different from seeing dogs as I want to say, which is what I'm referring to as the old way of looking at dogs, as seeing dogs as things that simply have to do our bidding, that, you know, need to know their place, that need to walk to heel, always have to do what we say when we say it instantly. And so there are two aspects of that old way of looking at things, well, Well, maybe probably there are more aspects, but there are two aspects that I want to highlight as really being detrimental to our mental health because implied in the old way was that we should be able to train any dog to do anything if only one, we find the right way and two, we apply ourselves enough. We spend enough time or we invest in getting the right skill set as a trainer But the old way also implied, for example, that we didn't know the why or didn't need to know the why behind a certain behavior. We didn't really need to know the cause to be able to treat the affliction. It was purely about conditioning. And, well, I agree, of course, that we may not always know the cause of a certain behavior. And sometimes what we observe is all we have to go on. And then that's kind of the way that we have to train But the more we know the why, uh, the context, the dog's emotion, everything behind it, the easier it is to understand a certain behavior and then to train in a way to help it improve our dog's emotional well-being and by extent that of ourselves. But okay, getting back to the mental health part. I believe that the old way of thinking about dogs is detrimental to our health because it directly links what our dogs do, how well they behave, 
to us as the guardians or the trainers. It just basically puts all of the blame, if you will, for our dog not behaving the way we would like on us. And so one of the easiest ways to feel better is to sever that line, to sever that connection, to uncouple the two, if you want. Like our dog not behaving the way we believe, that would be the ideal way for them to behave, says nothing about us. Dog does something that we don't like, doesn't change our self-worth. And obviously, if you're skilled in mindset work, then you can choose to believe that under any circumstances, right? Um, that you're never to blame. <laughs> maybe something or someone else is, or maybe the dog's just broken, which is the other option. But um, when you start to be able to uncouple your self-worth or lack thereof um, from the way your dog behaves, then you're on your way. And to me, it's actually one of the easiest ways to improve your men mental health because how you think about yourself in relation to your dog, how you think about your dog, it's all in the word think, it's your thoughts, it's something that's within your control. Of course, there's a caveat because we've been conditioned for so long to see our relationship with our dogs, like the way I mentioned earlier, you know, like dogs... Um, or how our, well our dog behaves, reflects on us as their um, guardian. And we should really be able to train any dog to do anything if we only find the right way. And like, like I mentioned before, if we only apply ourselves enough. Um, because of that conditioning and because we've been exposed to that message from society for so long changing the way we think about our dogs and our relationship with our dogs is also one of the hardest things to do. Like even if we know it, really consciously know it, somewhere ingrained in the deeper, dark cavities of our brain is still that conditioning that will rear its ugly head every now and then. So going against a societal conditioning Going against the way we've been taught to think about dogs for so long, it's just hard. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. It takes brain power. And especially if most of society, like you know who I'm talking about, and you know the neighbor that still you know, advocates for the old way, and you know the dog TV shows that still... Um, mention that or still consider that that is the way to go when all of society isn't there yet it's extra hard which again is why i believe that the whole paradigm shift that we are seeing now is actually going to help us move forward because now that we are hearing more and more about um not just force-free dog training but also about seeing dogs as their own characters with their own fears and likes with their own wiring it will also make it easier for us humans to be less hard on ourselves if our um, dog being scared of something simply says something about our dog and not about how well we are able to radiate confidence um, then we don't have to take all the responsibility for a dog not being able to you know trot merrily by that 
very, very scary trash can that wasn't there before. And um, if our dog not sitting right away when we cue them to can simply mean that they're in pain or over threshold, then it doesn't have to automatically mean that we're lacking authority. And like I said, we can totally choose to believe all of that right now already, but it helps so much if we see the change in society, you know, like if we hear more dog trainers and more dog guardians around the world mention that way of seeing things, if we hear them say it out loud, it simply makes it easier to adopt that way of thinking, which is why I think it's so important to talk about this paradigm shift and to let other people in on it because it will relieve so many people of so much guilt and so much of that ugh, that ickiness. All this guilt about not exuding enough confidence and, and not being a good enough trainer, you could just then you know, throw it out the window. And I... I don't mean to say put all the blame on um, your dog or on the environment now, but I want to say that it can help to uncouple what you get as a training result from your own self-worth. Like Let your dog own their results. And that doesn't mean that you stop helping your dog be less afraid. You know, because you can just say, like, well, we'll feel whatever they feel anyway. They're their own being. Um, no, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that if your help doesn't lead to the desired results right away or at all, if it doesn't lead to your dog being less afraid, then that, that says nothing bad about you. And that, I think, will help dog guardians from all over the world just feel better about themselves. If regarding the dog as the sentient being that it is, functioning within, you know, a certain specified environment with all of the imposed limitations, if regarding your dog that way doesn't already improve the dog's well-being, which I am convinced that it does, then a guardian you know, a dog guardian who feels better about themselves definitely will increase the dog's well-being because the kind of interactions that you have or that, you know, that kind of a dog guardian who feels better about themselves has with their dog, um, when you feel overall better about yourself, those interactions will be so much more constructive they will allow you to be so much more present when you interact with your dog. And that, I believe, also contributes to the dog you know, feeling better. So it's the double whammy. So if you are having a hard time working against all that societal conditioning and would like some more evidence and some more circumstances to help your brain build the case against the old way of seeing dogs or... Um, rather build the case for the new way of seeing them, um, then I want to share with you what I read in Professor Stanley Corrin's book. And I'm, I may be butchering his name. I have no idea how you pronounce it, but this is how I chose to pronounce it. Um, his book, How Dogs Think. I haven't finished reading it yet, but 
I read this in the first chapter and I was already blown away and thought, oh, yes, this is it. Um, what he writes there is basically that what I now describe as the new way of seeing dogs, you know, of sentient beings and the whole paradigm shift that I'm talking about, that up until the 17th century, we were actually seeing dogs that way. This more um, robotic way of seeing dogs. They have to do what we say. There are things. They're not up on our level. That didn't come about until the 17th century. And he describes that in the first chapter of the book, which is kind of when I already had this whole mic drop moment of what? What's going on here? Now, he describes this in the book. I have to say, I didn't check um, his sources. I don't have two independent other sources to corroborate this story. So just, you know, just want to mention that. So it might be all wrong. It might be incorrect. But to me, it made sense. And for the purposes of what I'm trying to tell you, namely that you can choose how to think about the dog and that how you think about the dog has an impact both on your dogs and your own well-being. For that purpose, this whether this story is absolutely true or not isn't even that relevant. But what he writes in that first chapter is that basically how we see dogs has evolved over time. And like I said, what he mentions was that until the 17th century, so I really want to say pretty recently, um, we never saw dogs as um, non-intelligent. We saw them as magnificent beings, um, hugely loyal with actually sort of a, a better moral compass than the one that we humans have or had. And it was after that time that we started seeing them more as biological robots, kind of like where we, where the whole conditioning thing comes in. You input A and out comes B. And so what he describes is that one of the great French philosophers of that time, you may have heard of him, René Descartes, um, well, maybe not instigated the idea, doesn't say that in the book, but at least was... Uh, one of the people expressing the opinion that dogs had no conscience. And as Professor Coran mentions, that probably had to do more with his religious beliefs than with any kind of science. So what the deal was, was apparently that if something or someone had a soul, um, then that, that meant that they could go to heaven. And if he considered that dogs were these fantastic, living, thinking, sentient beings, then um, he, by he I mean Descartes, would have also had to admit that they had a soul, which would mean that they would be able to get into heaven, and that this whole idea of dogs also going to heaven, that was just something that he could not deal with. But still, you know, like he had to try and um, explain away why dogs behaved that the way they did. And what I read in the book was that at one point he went to Paris and he found some kind of like robotic structures there um, that were 
driven by water or wind i'm not sure what i'm imagining is those i don't know if you guys know these these beautiful um, sculptures that you can put in your garden that are um how to explain it <laughs> sort of driven by the wind and then they start to rotate and make all these beautiful mesmerizing patterns i'm imagining probably that he saw um something like that i digress sorry but <laughs> then he saw those and then figured oh that was kind of the um, explanation as to why dogs did what they did it was kind of similar to the way those statues reacted to wind and water and input from the environment like dogs would be the kind of beings that you know like <laughs> you put a coin in on one side and a behavior comes out on the other side kind of similar to okay wind hits the sculpture or water hits the sculpture and then it moves a certain way and that would kind of explain how dogs could be doing what they were doing they would be some kind of animal robots and in a way i find it kind of creepy that that's sort of the parallel that we're seeing now with um the old school of just purely 100 percent looking at conditioning of the dogs like you put in one stimulus and then something happens on the other side it's kind of this whole animal robot thing as well and then if we see dogs like that then that makes it again easy to go down that route of well if the dog isn't reacting to the stimulus or to the button push so to say the right way then either the dog is broken or the handler is broken and most of the people who listen to this podcast and most of my clients immediately go to well then i as the handler am broken but I just wanted to use this example to show you that this way of thinking was actually also decided upon by someone. Someone decided that this is the way that we could think or should think about dogs. And this shift happened, if we can believe this book, in the 17th century. And before that, we saw dogs completely differently. And right now we're starting to see them completely differently again. And regardless, I think what this example makes clear is that there's not really an absolute truth. In the early days, we saw them one way. It shifted to seeing them a different way. And now it's shifting again. And we get to choose how we want to see our dogs and how we want to see ourselves in relationship to them. And I would just want to encourage everyone to choose the way that is most beneficial to the mental health of your dog and that's most beneficial to your mental health because when we come full circle, that will in the end again benefit the mental health of your dog as well if that is your end goal. So the paradigm shift, in short, (laughs) that we're seeing in the dog training world I believe is an important one. I believe more people need to talk about it because when we do that will make it easier for a lot of people to shift their thinking and allow them to feel better about themselves and to increase their confidence when it comes to dealing with their dogs. I'll link to Professor Coren's book in the show notes. Like I said, I haven't finished reading it. I think I've read maybe the first four or five chapters at the moment. So far, 
I like it a lot, but this first chapter in combination with what I was already thinking about this whole shift in the dog training industry and the whole paradigm shift, it just, to me, was already mind-blowing. It was, wait, what? <laughs> this thing is old news? <laughs> We're going through one of these cycles again? I don't know. Pretty awesome. So, hope you're having a good week. Hopefully next week I can bring you an interview episode again. If not, you're just going to have to hear my one of my monologues again and exercise some patience. If you want to learn how changing the way you think can benefit your mental health and by extension benefit the relationship that you're having with your dog, and I don't want to say just your dog, I also want to say your loved ones, then you might want to get in on my coaching program Hop on a free consult with me to see if it could be for you. You can schedule it on my website, kaisafanoverbake.com. You can have a look at the podcast info to see how you're supposed to spell that. And um, I would love hearing from you. And in any case, if you're liking these podcasts, then maybe you want to leave a review either on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Would be awesome if you could do that because it will help the podcast be found. And that way we can help more people.